Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And the title of my message is simply Religion Versus the Gospel. Religion Versus the Gospel. Let me read from Galatians chapter 1. Verses 3 to 12. If you're reading from the NIV, there may be a little subheading called No Other Gospel. No Other Gospel. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Grace and peace to you from, our, uh, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age according to the will of God and Father, in whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What you need to understand about Paul is that he starts all of his writings, every one of his letters to every person and every church, he starts with the grace of God be to you. The peace of God be to you. That's where he starts. And in his letters, he has some really strong things to say. So you better remember how his letters start because they start with the grace of God. And to this particular church or churches in this particular region, he had a few tough things to say to them, but nonetheless, he extends grace. Christianity 101, the Gospel 101. We need to extend grace in every circumstance and in every situation, no matter what we are addressing in life. And so Paul says, grace be to you from this glorious God in heaven. And then he says in verse 6, I'm astonished. Uh Uh-oh. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who you called to live the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, there are some people throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Wow. As we have already said, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be under God's curse. I, am I now trying to win human, uh, sorry, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't please all the people all the time. And that is oh so true when you are serving Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught to me. Rather, I received it by revelation from Christ Jesus. Strong words, but on a foundation of grace. Pointed words, but on a foundation of grace. Every parent knows this when talking to their kids. You might have some strong things to say. It could be something like unpacking the dishwasher. It could be something like cleaning your room. Or it could be a fight they got in at school. Or it could be something they stole from a shop. All of these have conversations and ramifications that need strong direction. But you know as a parent, it comes from love and you want the best for your children. And so you can honestly say, uh, it's with a heart of love that I'm speaking so strongly to you. That's what Paul is saying here. Remember, it's the grace of God. But in the grace of God, I've got some strong things that I wanna say to you. And what he's addressing is that his teaching had been distorted and it was no longer the gospel that they were preaching. They were preaching something else that I'm calling today religion. 
Religion is not a bad word. In actual fact, religion is a biblical word, as we learnt last week. But I'm not addressing the word religion in the context of what the Scripture says, but more so to do with the prevailing perception that religion brings today. What do I mean by that? Well, if you ask your friends that do not go to church, most of them don't like religion and they'll have a lot to say about religion. They will say, religion, ha, that starts all the wars. They might say, religion, religion, they just want your money. That's the prevailing perception that many people out there have when they think of religion. And so it's that perception that we are addressing when it comes to the title of my message today. Does that make sense? In actual fact, if we want to connect with people, if we actually want to communicate better with people, we first have to cross over and put ourselves in their shoes and ask, them, ask ourselves what are the questions that they are asking of themselves. And so when we talk about Christ and the church, they don't think of this. They think of religion. All they want is your money. They think of religion. That just causes all the wars in the world. And so that's what we've got to break down. Before we can bring the good news of Jesus, we have to break down the perceptions that are in their mind. And so today, as I did last week, I want to look at the difference between the gospel that Paul preached and what it's been turned into. That's what man preaches. And that is what I call religion. And we looked at some of those things last week. The first one was that religion is all about what we do, but the gospel is all about what He did. Jesus died on the cross and His last three words were, it is finished. Our debts to our sins have been paid in full. Religion tries to earn its way to God. The gospel receives uh, the grace of God as a free gift. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. Secondly, religion says that if I obey God, He will love me. But the gospel says, because God loves me, I can now obey Him. Thirdly, religion also, uh, sorry, religion sees only good people and bad people. The gospel sees only repentant people and unrepentant people. And Jesus told this incredible story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we see that based upon this story, this Pharisee was full of himself, full of his own self-importance. But the tax collector was full of remorse, full of repentance. And Jesus says the one who was full of repentance went home justified. And the fourth one, and I think this is the one we landed on last week, that religion is all about getting from God, but the gospel is all about getting God. Religion treats God as a pinata. Religion is that big stick that hits God as a pinata, hoping that He will give them something. And every prayer is like a hit on God. It's a hit on God. It's a give us something, God. And the challenge I put out last week to us was this. If all of our prayers were answered, whose lives would be influenced? Would it just be ours? Would the extent of all our prayers combined only change our life? If all of our prayers were answered today, would we come to church next week in a new car, having just purchased a new house with new clothes because we've been blessed? Or would other people's lives in our world be richer as a result of our prayers being answered? And if the answer is only our life would be enhanced, I'm afraid that we've stepped from the gospel into what I'm calling religion. Because religion makes things all about itself and religion treats God as something to get as opposed to God being the prize Himself. The gospel understands in no uncertain terms that God Himself is the prize. He is the goal. He is the goal of our 
faith. And the gospel understands when you've got God, you've got everything. Now, God, I do believe, wants to bless you in good measure, pressed down and shaken together. He will add things to your life. But essentially, the gospel understands even if He doesn't, we still win. Because we got God. I drew an analogy last week and I said, the, the goal of my marriage is my wife. See, the goal of my marriage is not my kids. It's not my home. It's not my car. It's not all those things that have been added to me through being married. The goal of my marriage is Kath herself. Because when I got married, I never knew if we could have kids. There was no guarantee. When we got married, I didn't know if we'd have a nice new home. There was no guarantee. They're the things that have come out of being married, but they were never the goal. And I love my kids dearly, but they are not the goal of my marriage. I can love on my kids, but that does not mean that I'm going to have a healthy marriage. I can clean my car and have, a, and have it working really well, but it doesn't mean I'll have a healthy marriage. I can clean the house inside and out and keep a tidy garden, but that alone does not mean that I will have a healthy marriage. You can do a lot of things uh, under the banner of Christianity and lose your relationship with God. That is what I call religion. You can go to church and you can put money in the offering and you can pray prayers and all those things can get in the way of your relationship with God. And when something gets in the way of your relationship with God, that's religion. So we can lift our hands and sing songs and it can be the Gospel and it can be religion. It depends where our heart is. And the Gospel, according to Paul, addresses the heart. And Paul recognised that in this church, there were people that um, were, have strayed from a pure heart. And that added all these other things to the Gospel, which Paul says is no Gospel at all. And so he wanted to bring them back to the Gospel. One thing that I did not tell you and no one in this congregation knows, and just by way of personal testimony on this point, is that five weeks ago, when Kath and I were away for a few days, R&R, just off the back of everything that happened at the beginning of this year and all the things that we've dealt with, we thought we'd take a few days just to breathe and just to be by ourselves. We didn't even have our kids with us. It wasn't a holiday per se. It was just time for Kath and I just to get refreshed and rejuvenated. And it was in this time when we were away from all the hustle and bustle of the world that we know, Kath finds a lump in her right breast. My kids are finding this out for the very first time. And I remember, in light of all we've been through this year, for half an hour thinking to myself, what on earth is going on? And I remember getting a hold of Kath, holding her precious little hands, looking into her eyes. And I started speaking over her and I started declaring over her the promises of God. And I said, babe, we don't know if we've got tomorrow, let alone next year. And we've come here to be refreshed and rejuvenated. And when we go away for those times, I don't mean to gross anyone out. I know it's Sunday morning. I know that. And I know there are some young people here and I'm not trying to gross you out. But when I'm alone with my wife on moments like that, we, we're like rabbits. We just get real intimate lots. <laughs> and, 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 and when you're faced with those moments, I like to work, think of the worst case scenario. And my, my, my worst case scenario is this. Hey, you know what? If worst case scenario is Kath's not around in 12 months, let's make the most of today. 
And let's make the most of this R&R. And let's, let's, just, let's just go to the bedroom right now and make the most of our time together. And it's amazing when you have a gospel perspective, you can turn a positive, uh, a negative into a positive. And, and we, I, I, we prayed together once. We discussed it once. And then as we came back off that time, we had to get the uh, things checked out. And, and so and many of you women here have been through this and, and you know the drill and some of you have had cancer scares yourself and, and some of you have lost loved ones to cancer and I'm not here to bring up the pain, but I want to bring some perspective to you today. And a perspective based upon the gospel, not based upon religion. And so Kath gets uh, checked up and uh, they confirm there is definitely a uh, lump in the right breast. So they say, well, let's just check out the other one. And they find another lump. And so that moment, it's kind of like, again, it's like, you know, hang on, just, you know, fresh thinking is required in those moments. And for the last five weeks, Kath's been holding on to that as we've led you. And I said, Kath, you know what? Uh, again, I don't know how long you're here for. I don't know how long I'm here for. I don't know how any of us are here for. How about you preach this week? And so she preaches. Who knows? And so during this time of the unknown, Kath's been preaching and leading and counselling and caring and praying. All these tests were done and, and what you need to know, and this is the only reason I'm telling you now, is because of the result we got back. And the result we got back on Thursday of this week, and they said, hey, Mrs. Rainbow, the, the lump in the, the right breast, that's just a, a cyst that can be drained, that's fine. The one in the left is benign, but we do want to see you again in three months. And so essentially right now we're in the clear. And that's what I'm telling you because I don't want to burden you with our stuff. But I want to be able to tell you that you can live through this and you can survive. But you will not survive if you have a religious approach to Christ. You will not survive. You'll start questioning God. You'll start arguing with God. You'll start debating with God. You'll start blaming God. You'll start accusing God. That's what religion does. But when you understand the gospel, you understand you've got everything. When you understand the gospel, you realise that God is the prize and there's not one moment of one day where we lost God. We had Him before we knew the news, during the news and after the news. We knew we had Him. He was always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And the gospel understands this. We're in the clear right now, but for five weeks we carried that. And here's the thing, you didn't know about it. Because we didn't burden you with it. And it's not because we're superhuman. And it's not because we're pastors, oh my gosh. And it's certainly not because we lead a church. If anything, leading a church can bring pressure to our world. There's only one reason that we can go through this season the way we have. And it's not because we're more favoured by God than anyone else in this room. It's not because we're pastors. It's simply because of the understanding of what the gospel is versus what religion is. Religion only ever goes to God to get something. But the gospel understands we've got God. We've got everything. We've got everything. And no matter what you are going through today, and no matter what you are facing today, I want you to know, with God, you got everything. You got everything you need. Now, now here's the thing. 
when I spoke to my wife and we prayed together, the uncertainty and the pain didn't leave. It just found its place. That's, that's what I want, to, I want you to hear. The gospel will help you find place for the pain that you feel. Because the gospel gives you bigger and better perspective. And so while the pain is there, the perspective gives you a greater peace. And so you can acknowledge that the pain is there, but you have greater peace because you have a greater perspective. I tell our leaders all the time, our job is not to pick sides. Our job is not to say, I don't know. Our job is to help people with their perspective because most people lose perspective in the darkness. They lose their way in the darkness. And our role as believers is to understand the difference between religion and the Gospel and to present the perspective of the Gospel every time because the Gospel brings peace which transcends understanding. And the amazing thing is, not only did you not know, but we prayed about this situation once. We discussed it once. We prayed about it once. But in the last five weeks, we've prayed about many of you by name. We've seen your faces and we've prayed for you specifically. And so you know what? If my prayers all got answered today, there'd be a lot of healthier people in here. There'd be a lot less barren people in here. There'd be people with more jobs here. Because that's what we've been consumed with. Our life is bigger than just our life. And your life is bigger than just your life. And the Gospel understands this. The Gospel understands it. And the Gospel, while it believes to the best, can handle the worst. The gospel can face the facts, just like Abraham did. And this was before Christ. This was before the gospel. He understood the gospel. It says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He looked at his wife, her body was dead. In the natural, they could not have kids. And he did not say, no, I can. He said, no, we can't. He can face the facts. The gospel can face the facts. We didn't deny the lump. We didn't deny the second lump. It's there. It's real. We can't say it's not there in Jesus' name. It is there. And there's a pain that's associated with those lumps and that was there. But it goes on to say of Abraham, but he did not waver through unbelief concerning the promises of God. But he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which He had promised. And he entrusted himself into God and His care. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the same thing. They would not deny their God and they would not bow down and worship this golden idol, this religious idol. And so the king was infuriated and uh, he turned up the furnace seven times hotter than it normally was and he declared, I'm going to throw you into that fire. And they said, we believe that our God can protect us from the fire. But even if He doesn't, this is what the Gospel adds to the I believe God can. But even if He doesn't, we will not bow down and worship your idol. And I, I believe, and we need to be a people that believe the best, but that can handle the worst. And if we can do that, we are in the vicinity of what the gospel really is. Because the gospel understands when you got God, you got everything. 
And so I pray that through my message today and through the work of the Holy Spirit, our pain will find its place. And peace will rule. And peace will reign. Father, that's the word right now. May your peace come. A peace which transcends understanding, even now, with all the little nuances and all the little things going on in people's world right now. May the pain associated to those things find its place right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Number five. My first point for today. Here we go. (laughs) Religion is all about your birth family, but the gospel is all about the new birth. See, for religion, your last name is really important. I was born into this family. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it says, While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother, his brothers stood outside waiting for, uh, to speak to him. Someone said, Look, your mom and your brothers and your sisters, they're standing outside and they're asking to speak with you. And Jesus does not just leave his perch doing what he's doing because it's his own flesh and blood. Religion thinks that because I'm your mother, because I'm your father, because I'm your brother, because I'm your sister, I'm entitled and I have rights. That's religion. But Jesus answers him. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Then pointing with his hands to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. The little comical part of me Looks at the, sees that and looks at the disciples and they're like, which was he referring to as a woman? I don't know. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> Could be wrong. Um, the gospel understands one thing. You must be born again. You must be born again. And to be born again is to receive a new nature that makes us no longer sinners, but we are saints. If you're a Christian, say, I'm just a sinner. No, it's not. It's poor theology. You're not. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've experienced a new birth, if you've received a new nature, you are no longer a sinner. The Bible says that you are saints. Paul addresses the church in Ephesus. He says to all of the saints. Now, again, our understanding of a saint is you've got to do two miracles and you're going to be dead for a long time. That is not what the Bible says about being a saint. A Bible calls you a saint the moment you are born again, the moment you come into the kingdom of God, the moment you receive the blood washed uh, Christ into your heart and into your life. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. And that's good news. And Paul is trying to get that across to this particular church that had lost its way. You are saints. God doesn't have any grandchildren, only sons and daughters. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, not our grandfather. In other words, you can never come to Christ through your parents. They may be instruments that help you find Christ, but you can never get to Christ through your parents. The only way you can get to God is through Christ Himself. If you want the assurance that comes and of knowing that you are going to spend all time and eternity in heaven, there's only one way and His name is Jesus. You may have the most godliest mum, you may have the most godliest uh, dad, but until you bow the knee, until you receive Christ yourself as personal Lord and Saviour, there can be no rebirth. 
You can't come to God through your parents, only Christ. This is good news. Why? Because it doesn't matter which side of the track you're born on. I was born in Elizabeth. Can anything good come out of Elizabeth? But the Gospel doesn't care. It doesn't matter what your address is. We've got people who live at different addresses. And those addresses would come with certain stigma and say certain things about you. But the Gospel knows none of that. It doesn't matter what side of the track you've been born on. It doesn't matter about your present address. God's presence can even penetrate Elizabeth. How about that? It's just people from Burnside who don't want to go there. That's all. But God does. Come on. Because we're not like God. God doesn't care about the address. God doesn't go, oh, I don't want to go to Elizabeth. No, no, no. He'll go to Elizabeth. He'll go. He probably has more trouble in Burnside because there's all those people there who think that. Anyway, anyway it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what your last name is. This notion that you know who my dad is, the gospel doesn't matter. You may have royal blood, but it doesn't matter. You may not even know who your natural parents are because you was abandoned as a child and they got to the, the gospel, it doesn't matter. Because your last name doesn't matter. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is simply saying this, that our value doesn't come from where we are sitting but where we are seated. It says that our worth doesn't come from where we sit in church, but where we are seated in Christ. See, some of us have this notion, the closer to the front you are, the more special you are. It's not true. Although I sit on the front row and I'm pretty special. That is true. But no more special than the person on the back row. Whether you're on staff or off staff, whether you're on leadership or off leadership, where you are sitting in church doesn't matter or compare to where you are seated with Christ. And if we had a mature understanding of the gospel, we should be able to come into a position and be taken out of a position and it shouldn't change our conviction. Because we might have been seated here in this position. We may have been seated there in that position. We may have been doing this thing for a season. We may have been in that ministry thing for a season. But it doesn't matter where we are sitting in church. It doesn't change where we are seated in Christ. Number five was religion is all about your birth family, but the gospel is all about the new birth. Number six, religion sees hardship as punishment. The gospel sees that not all suffering is bad. Religion does not know what to do with suffering other than judge and condemn and point a finger. We see that in Job's day. Job was suffering and they say, oh, you must have sinned. What have you done wrong? That's what religion does. It always points the finger. But in actual fact, Job was suffering because he was the only righteous one among them. And God was so proud of this man, Job, he let the enemy Test this man. And while 
Job was under severe testing. Religious people came alongside him, his friends, and started saying, Job, confess your sin. What have you done wrong, man? Come on. I mean, on one day, Job lost all his family with the exception of his wife and she got stuck into him. I imagine Job's prayer is, you've taken all my, wife, all my family. Why did you leave my wife? Why couldn't you have taken her too? But he takes all of their kids and all he leaves is his wife. He loses all of his livestock, all of his cattle, all of his possessions and one day loses it all. What have you done wrong? What have you done wrong? Nothing. God's just testing him. God's just, God's just showcasing Job to the world. And then the devil comes back, he's ticked off. He said, oh man, he hasn't, he hasn't recanted. Oh, but that's only because you haven't let me touch him personally. If you let me touch him, he will recant. And God says, okay, you can touch him, but do not take his life. And so Job's body breaks out in boils and sores and he was unrecognisable. And his three friends came along and said, come on, confess, 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 come on, confess, confess, confess. And he's the only righteous one among them. See, religion doesn't know what to do with suffering. Religion doesn't know how to handle pain other than pointing your finger and accuse. But Job was not like his friends. And he was able to say, though he slay me, I know my Redeemer lives. See, the gospel understands that God uses suffering to sanctify us to change us. There is such a thing as sanctified affliction. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I know, sorry, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. We often talk about the power of His resurrection. We celebrated that at Easter. We want to know the power of His resurrection. If you're in pain today, we want to pray for you because there's power in His resurrection. And we talk about that a lot in church and rightly so. But the bit we leave out is the second part. That Paul says, he says, I, I want to know this God. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. As He was raised from the dead, I want to know what it is to be raised to life again. Yeah. But then he goes on to say, and, everyone say and. and. It's a both and here, not either or. He says, and the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. And I also want to know what it was like to suffer like He suffered. Who's ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> Who's ever prayed, God, I want to know Your resurrection power because I need healing today. We've prayed that. But come on, let's be honest and please, no show of hands. But how many have said, Lord, I'm so in awe of You. I'm so indebted to You. I'm so intrigued as the pain You went through. And you never relented, you never recanted. I want to know something of that. I would love to be put in a, in a position where I'm severely tested and come out the other side having not given up or given in. That's what Paul was praying. Just as you suffered, Lord, I want to suffer. That's the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul laid his life down for. When you think about the history of our movement called the gospel, if you look at the founder of our movement, he died a horrible death. If you look at the early church leaders, they all died a horrible death. There's a, in that alone, there's a good suggestion that with the gospel comes suffering. Yeah. 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 
So why do we act so surprised when we experience a bit of suffering? And can I just say, I'm not talking about the suffering that's caused by our own stupidity. You can't spend all your money and think, I've got no money. That's just being stupid. That's not suffering. There's a difference between being stupid and sanctified affliction. I'm talking about doing the right thing, like Job, and things go wrong. How we handle that is really important. And I actually believe in this church. I believe there's a maturity in this church to hear this message today. I believe there's a maturity in this church for us to respond in a mature way. I couldn't share this message in every church. You know that? But I feel like in Victory Church, we're ready to hear this. We're ready to go to the next level. Jedediah Thurner spoke on Sunday night about God adding weight to the bar. A weight that we can't push in our own strength and talking about and prophesying that there'll be extra grace to be able to push the extra weight that we can't push in our own strength. It's a great season in this church right now. Number seven, religion is all about me, but the gospel is all about Jesus. Religion makes life all about itself. Me, myself and I, my comfort, my need, my prosperity, my, my, my. But the gospel is saying it's not about us. It's actually about Jesus. And when we fully understand the gospel and we grow in our understanding of the gospel, we won't make life about us so much as we make it about Him. There's going to be lots of things that happen in church that are not your preference are not your desired choice. But if we make it about Jesus, we can get excited about the things that take place, even that aren't our preference. You know, as, as we grow and I get older and, 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 and uh, my like in music, uh, you know, stays the same, but the music itself changes, I have to make a choice. Am I going to make church based upon what I like? Or am I going to make it based upon what the younger people like? so that the church doesn't grow old and die, but there's always new, young, fresh blood coming through. And the gospel understands that it's far better to have young people in church with music that's not my choice than having the music of my choice with no young people in church. That's the gospel. And so I'm thrilled that my daughter is preaching this morning. I'm thrilled that those four young people shared on Friday night I thank God because that says to me the church has a future. And as I get older, the music's going to change and I will always like 80s music better than anything else. That will not change. But you know what? You begin to embrace the changes with great joy because of the fruit and that is young people coming to Christ and loving coming to church. You think about it. I know when I was younger, you know, um, doing the wrong thing uh, was not as easy as it is today. Do you know, with this technological age in which we live, there are things that are so readily available to our younger generation that if we wanted, we had to, you know, pluck up the courage to steal something out of a bookshop or get someone old enough to buy that. But there's so much available to our younger generation. It's at their fingertips. And to have a younger generation that can say no to some of that and choose church. Oh my gosh, they're heroes. They're doing an amazing job and we need to recognise that, identify that and encourage them and tell them again and again and again they're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. 
Amen. And number eight, as the band comes up, that'd be great. Religion leads to a life of uncertainty, but the gospel leads to a life of assurance. See, with religion, you never know if you've done the right thing or not. You never know if you've actually been good enough or not. And religion always ends in two places. It either ends in pride. You feel really good about yourself because you're not like that tax collector. Because I tithe and I fast twice a week and I go to church and I'm not like them and I'm better than them. It always gets you into pride or despair. That's where religion always lands you. Pride, I'm better than them. Or despair, I'm not good enough. Religion will always land you in those two places. I'm better than other people. Or I'm not good enough. And the Gospel says that both of those are a lie. There's an assurance that we have when we come to Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I believed, and I am persuaded that He's able to keep me from that which He committed to Him until that day. Paul says to this young man, Timothy, Timothy, I want you to know something. I know, I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm committed. But Paul, you've suffered lots. I know. But what you need to know, young man, is this. I know God. I know. I believe. I'm persuaded. And I'm committed. But Paul. But what, Timothy? I know. I believe. I'm persuaded. And I'm committed. But Tony, a couple of lumps and then there was a Chris thing. Seriously, what's going on, man? Hey, 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 I know. I believe. I'm persuaded. And so I'm in. I'm fully committed. I'm all in. I have no plan B. I'm committed. But we're at the story you tell about your son. That's not normal. <laughs> I know. I believe. I'm persuaded and I'm all in. I'm committed. What do you know? What do you believe? What are you persuaded about? What are you committed to? I can only tell you what I know and what I believe and what I'm persuaded about and what I'm committed to. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 